0: if I might speak to you young ones value this time of your life kids because it goes by so quickly when you're a teenager you think you can do anything and you do your 20s are a blur in your 30s you'll start a family and wonder what happened to my 20s in your 40s well you'll start to develop a little bit of a pot belly maybe grow another chin uh, the music starts to get too loud, and one of your girlfriends from school will become a grandmother. In your 50s you'll have uh, in your '50s you'll have minor surgery. you'll call it a procedure, but it'll, it'll be surgery, uh, and the music starts to get too loud. In your 60s you'll have major surgery. Uh, the music's still too loud, but it doesn't matter if you can 't hear it anyway.) Uh, <laughs> In your 70s, you and your wife will retire to uh, a retirement home and um, begin to have dinner about 2 in the afternoon, lunch about <laughs> 10 in the morning, and breakfast the night before. Uh, and you'll wander around uh, shopping malls looking for the ultimate soft serve yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? In your 80s, you'll have a major stroke, end up babbling to a home care nurse who your wife doesn't like, but who do you call mama. Um, <coughs> Any questions?
1: <laughs>
0: now, does anyone recognise that little speech? not as well delivered perhaps as the original, but does anyone recognise it? Uh, you guys are all too young. Uh, Billy Crystal uh, in, let's see if we can do it.
1: Uh,
0: okay. Oh, there's St Catherine on the, uh, the world's biggest bushwalk. Yes. Um, that little speech is from, you said see if we can do it. City slickers years ago. Billy Crystal. <laughs> uh, he uh, he gets invited to come and speak to his son's uh, kind of careers day about his job, and he's about to turn. This is a bit sentimental. Uh, Christian on? I think so. Wait a minute. That's it. Excellent. Uh, yeah, <coughs> he's about to turn 39, having his midlife crisis, and so he walks him through, and the kids just sit there going. Uh, but the speech makes more and more sense as the years go by. <clears throat> so the question is, life goes by very quickly. How do you get control of time? How do you understand time and how it works? A lot of people would say, well, as technology gets better and better, uh, we'll, we'll be more and more in control of our time. Okay? So we'll be able to get things done faster and faster. So here, if the technology works, here's a quick summary of... Uh, There we go. Here's a quick summary of how technology has got quicker and quicker and how, of course, we now have more and more spare time. So, in 1837, Samuel Morse invented the telegraph, you know, the the electrical Morse code across the wires. In 1876, Alexander Graham Bell patents the telephone. But it was no use at all until he patented what? The second telephone, well yeah. done. Uh, then he made a third telephone and rang, and the other two were engaged, yeah. Um, uh, 1930, the first analogue computer. 1942, the first electronic digital computer. 1947, mobile phones actually invented. But they didn't become available commercially until 1983. In the early 90s, a friend of mine who's a doctor gave me his old mobile phone, the first one I ever had. was the size of a paving brick, weighed about the same. It had buttons as big as postage stamps. Very cool. Uh, but you had to carry it around a briefcase, it was so big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 1948, the first telephone pager. 1956, the first computer hard disk. 1958, the modem invented, so you could send things over the phone line. 1971, cellular phones invented. Eighty-eight, digital cellular phones invented. Um, 1988, the first commercial emails sent. And wasn't that going to save us a whole lot of time once well, email came? Okay. Uh, 1990, the World Wide Web. There was a time before the internet. If you're, uh, if you're under 30, you can't remember it, but there was a time. And then 2006, the iPhone. Now, of course, all of those all that technologies meant we just have so much more time now, right? No, not where I live, anyway. The the strange um, strange thing, time poor. People talk about. and I often think. How can you be time poor? Because we've got 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can't have more time than that. But it's how to manage that, how to cope with it. And technology, (coughs) I think technology feels like it's made it worse. All right, so how how do you understand our lives and time? It's kind of an irony too. As you get older, the days get longer and the years get shorter for some reason. I don't know why that is. The days seem to get longer and the years get shorter and we wonder about why etc. Okay, so we're working our way through Ecclesiastes. You remember, that the starting point that Solomon gets to is this. He's saying, the world feels ephemeral, nothing lasts It's all. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There's nothing lasts under the sun. And we ask the question, what does man gain by all the toil in which he toils <coughs> under the sun? Remember, this is if you had your Bible closed and you looked out... How do you try and make sense of life? Well, you come to chapter 3, and he's talking about times or seasons. Um, If you kind of, let's take the butterfly and pin it to the wall and pull it apart. Here's how it works. Verses 3 to 4, talks about the biggest events in life, time to be born and a time to die. Verse 3, things that are creative and destructive. So to plant an uproot, to kill and heal, to tear down and to build. Verse 4 about emotions, uh, public and private, joy and sorrow. Uh, etc. And then in verses 5 through to 8 building and possessions uh, to build and to tear down Uh, verse 7 to speak and to be silent verse 8 personal relations love and hate, national relations peace and war but that's not how you understand a poem the way you understand a poem is you read it so Dan's read it once really nicely let me read it again with you Look from verse 1 and just just get the vibes a second time but let's, let's read it again and see if you can get the feel. How is it meant to feel as you read it? For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Song, yeah, and a pendulum, a pendulum that uh, rocks backwards and forwards. Or what's the one with the music sh- uh, uh, metronome? Is it? Metronome. Okay. A metronome or a pendulum moves back and forwards, back and forwards. And what's he saying? Life isn't measured by the way to think of life is not so much measured by the digital clock that's kind of the endless stream of exactly the same minutes, but life's a series of seasons or times. Uh, you see there's 14 pairs of events, from the, the biggest events in life, our birth and our death, to the smaller things like to tear and to sew, personal things, love and hate, national things, war and peace. And I think what he's saying is, wisdom is not so much being able to do a particular action, like buy or sell, speak or shut up. Wisdom is about understanding what's the season. Is it the time to to buy or the time to sell? Like the, the share market... Buying or selling is easy. When's the time to buy and the time to sell? Or the time to sit? What's the time? Or knowing, knowing what to say at exactly the right time. Right? That's the secret of, uh, of humour. So there's a proverb in Proverbs 15, says, 15, 23, To make an apt answer is a joyable man, and a word in the season, how good it is. I can usually think of the right thing to say about 24 hours later. The the French have an expression, something about d'escaler or something, like what you think I'm on the stair. In other words, after the time's gone and it's a day later, then you finally think what you should have said. Um, It's being able to make the right comeback. My favourite sporting sledge or sporting response, if you're not a cricket fan you won't get this if you are. James Ormond was a not very experienced, not very well-known English cricketer. And in the 2001 um, test against Australia, James Orman comes out to bat against the Australian test team. And Mark Wars there, makes a smart comment. Mark War says, mate, what are you doing here? There's no way you're good enough to play for England. To which James Orman replies, maybe you're right, but at least I'm the best player in my family. <laughs> uh, anyway, if, you, uh, if you're a cricketer, <coughs> Steve War all right now one of the secrets to life what he's saying is this Is actually understanding what time it is what season it is and being able to go with the flow or work with the grain if you uh you dive into the surf and you're caught in a rip and the reason so many uh tourists die in the surf so they're caught in a rip what do they do they try and fight against it directly whereas if you just relax and float it'll just take you out the back you swim around and come back into the waves. If you go with the, with the current or with the grain, it makes all the difference.
1: <coughs> now look at verse 11.
0: What's he said? He goes on to say that God has made everything beautiful in its time. So the right thing at the right time is beautiful. From the, uh, the daily... I was going to say trivial, it's not for me. That first coffee in the morning. How, just, how good is that? The first coffee in the morning or the first smell of spring... As, uh, as the seasons begin to change, um, or getting the f- getting all the family together around a <coughs> table, or um, finishing exams, <coughs> or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how good is it, huh? yeah, The right thing at the right or being able to retire and and enjoy that. So there's a the right thing at the right time is beautiful. We work really hard to control our lives, so um, <clears throat> made everything beautiful in its time. We work really hard. Now, Stephen Covey is uh, an American guy, he's a Mormon actually, and uh, wrote um, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, very interesting book about time management, a very wise man, actually I think he's pretty good looking too, what do you reckon? <laughs> no? no? Okay. And then, uh, the, so I read that, that was good, and then the second volume he wrote was First Things First, about getting your life organised. I got to about ten pages through it, and I accidentally left it on an aeroplane. And then I realised later that I... So I, I rang Qantas and tried to explain to them that the book about getting my life organised, that I'd lost it and could I... Have... <laughs>
1: it
0: was kind of... Anyway, it was embarrassing. I didn't, well, I didn't get it back. I'll tell you what else it means when you look at that list. Do you see how much of our life we don't control? The biggest events, that time to be born and a time to die and a time to grieve and a time to mourn. And, and you have all the... the year. of your if in your work or at home, or whatever you work in a big year, plan. <coughs> The one thing you never write in a year planner is a time to mourn. You, ne- you never know more than a few days in advance what a funeral is. In fact, it's kind of a sad irony, Stephen Covey, um, the, the management time planning guru, was killed a couple of years ago in a bicycle accident in Utah. He wasn't wearing a helmet. And I know that wasn't in his year planner. You just can't, things you can't control. And even if you look a little harder, you can see that the swings of the pendulum kind of um, can, uh, cancel each other out in a way. So there's a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to laugh and weep, build and tear down, born and die. And it's like for all of our effort, there's not there's not much happens. Nothing really changes. And so you come back. See verse nine. Solomon asks the same question as he does at the beginning of the book. He says, "What gain has the worker from all his toil?" we work really hard, what like the pendulum and it's all like cancelled. What are you left with? What's the the bottom line? And then what he does, I'll I'll go through this, listen to me a lot this morning, fairly quickly, in the rest of chapter three, he gives you four problems that we struggle with that bring angst to the heart. So if you feel kind of frustration about our world, Solomon gets it. so so the first problem, see verse 10. Does I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time, yes. He has also put, notice, eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. Now, I this is eternity. He means we know naturally there's just more to life than just under the sun. We know that. I reckon you've got to work really hard to be an atheist. Mm-hmm. Now, some people work hard enough and they achieve it, but it's it's definitely pushed against the grain. We know that there's more. Uh, so we turn it in our hearts. And yet, it's like it's this kind of spiritual awareness, if you like, and yet we can't work it out on our own. Under the sun, you can know there's more, but you can't quite work it out. Here's a great example. Paul Davies, who's a a world-renowned physicist, he's not, he's written a dozen different books, he's not a Christian. Here's what he says at the end of his book, towards the end of his book, The Mind of God. He says, I cannot believe that our existence in this universe is a mere quirk of fate, an accident of history, an incidental blip on the great cosmic drama. Our involvement is too intimate. The physical species Homo may count for nothing, but the existence of mind in some organism on some planet in the universe is surely a fact of fundamental significance. Through conscious beings, the universe has generated self-awareness. This can be no trivial detail, no minor byproduct of mindless, purposeless forces. We are truly meant to be here. No No product of mindless, purposeless forces. Yes, yes, we're truly meant to be here and that's it he's got nothing he can't, he, he can't he's under the sun he can't he hasn't opened the rest of his bible he can't he can't work it out well, certainly he hadn't when he'd written that book. he can't work it out so, um, yeah. so let's go back again eternity in our hearts we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end so what well what do you do well he gives you well kind of an answer is this he said well, I don't know. so I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in for his, all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So, well, you mightn't be able to work it out, but at least try and enjoy it. And if you can, that's the gift of God. So he's not against enjoying to eat, to drink, and enjoy your work if you can. That's great. It's not a full answer, but it's kind of like under the sun. It's all we've got. That's the first problem, that eternity in our hearts we can't work it out. In verse 14, the second, the second problem, and it's, a, it's actually hard to work out exactly what he means here. He says, um, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever and nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people, be, uh, people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Now I don't know what verse 15 means. You know, um, God seeks what's been driven. I think he means nothing changes. It's, everyone thinks they're going to change the world, but really we can't. The way that things work, the problems that we can't we can't fix it. But I'm not sure about verse 15, what he means. God seeks what's been driven away. Um, I think the NIV goes for God will bring back the past again. That so is kind of Dimes like the world's on a loop, I think he means. But the third one's this, nothing ever really changes. But what will break your heart is that those with power misuse it. Now that's the third problem, see verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Now, what's he saying, that those, those who should bring justice, those who have power, misuse it. I don't think you've ever heard of an organisation called Transparency International. Uh, it's a not-for-profit, and they basically track different countries and list the level of corruption in business and government, etc. What do they mean by corruption? Corruption is the abuse of entrusted power for private gain. It can be classified as grand, petty, or political, depending on the amounts of money Um, Loss and the sector where it occurs. Now here's their. uh, You can't really tell exactly. Uh, Basically, that's the the colour coding. So so the brighter the yellow, the lower the corruption. The darker the colour, down to uh, kind of red, the more corrupt. Uh, We're about second tier. The Scandinavian countries are listed as the least corrupt. England uh, and Canada, uh, and then Australia, USA, etc. Central Asia, significantly corrupt in terms of those in power and some of the uh, darkest spots are uh, here in Africa, you know, you can kind of imagine the suspects. Where do we rate? Um, you notice Denmark uh, is at the top. Uh, this is kind of the, the least corrupt. Denmark <coughs> is at the top uh, and New Zealand always rates well in these things. And then uh, Australia, we're 14. Out of around about 190 countries that are rated See, the surprising, what always surprises me, given human nature, is not that some of our politicians or whatever are found have been corrupt. But we have a system that is so good, it tracks them down and punishes them. Like, that that, that just amazes me when that happens, I think. And you know who we have to thank for that? Jesus. Because it's a Christian worldview in our society where Jesus says that those in authority should serve those that they rule over. And that's it. Anyway. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I have thought sort of would wrong with that. The world hasn't changed. He says, I see that in the, where there, were, there should be justice, there's wickedness. And our country is, one, is blessed to be very low on the corruption level. And there's other parts in the world that just um, live with terrible corruption. And, and hence, poverty, uh, etc. Now he knows in verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked after there is a time for every matter and for every work. So kind of intuitively he says, well, I know God will judge it one day and it's kind of it's almost a pendulum thing from injustice to justice. Um, yep. Yeah. But the real problem is in verse 18. he's, he's the, the clincher, if you like. He says, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. But what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and the dust all return. Who knows where the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. Now I've seen that used uh, by a cult in a pamphlet to say there's no life after death and we're all the same, and all that sort of thing. But you've got to remember, no, no, he's talking about under the sun, okay? So you can't, you mustn't, we can't rip these out of context. I'll give you an example. Here's a picture of the Stewart family. It's a few years old now. Um, But it has a picture of one of my best friends in it. Yeah, his name is Arnie, he's a Rhodesian Ridgeback. I don't think we'll ever be able to have another Rhodesian Ridgeback, because this guy used to take Cathy for a walk, and um, <laughs> he's just too big and too strong. I don't know if I can handle him now. He's 40-something kilos, just a magnificent dog. I love him so much. Um, he got to about the age of 13, and his hips started to go, uh, and he got this big growth on his eye, and he started to get a bit sent on while he'd walk around the house and trying to get lost and bump into things. I remember mean, saying to the kids, I'm going to have to take Arnie to the vet and get him put down. And I said, Dad, it's the third time you've told us that this week. I said, I'm just trying to get you used to the idea. And he said, no, you're not. (laughs) You're getting yourself used to the idea. So I took him to the vet, my best mate, and I took him to the vet and he he sat up on the gurney and I held his paw and he got the big green needle and and I walked home in the dark and had a big blubber. Um... uh, And I'm thinking. Well, there's someone else in that uh, the old guy out the back in that photo, and what have I got? Well, I might have another 20 if I'm if I'm lucky, maybe 25 if I'm very lucky, and if I'm lucky, my kids might come and sit be stand beside me, at the, you know, on the bed. Hope I don't get the big green needle, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll be patient, and then I and then I'll put me in a hole just like they put Arnie in a hole, and what uh, under the sun. What's a difference. I might get a mattress. He didn't get a mattress at the end. You you see the Now, can you see the recipe for frustration in here? That's this. What does he say in this chapter? We live with eternity in our hearts and we die like the animals. That's under the sun if that's all there is. That's why. You wonder why people live with frustration and angst and look for answers in all sorts of different places. <coughs> um, and so he says, well, if this is all there is, verse, 20, sorry, verse 22, so I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, and for that is his life. So who can bring him to see what will happen, uh, sorry, what will be after him? Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Enjoy life if you can. And once again, in the middle of the book, in the middle of his argument, because what he wants to do is convince you and look at it tomorrow morning, when you get to the end, under the sun, everything's just a vapor. There's nothing that lasts. There's nothing that has real value if if this is all there is. But what if, what if there was an event that happened in history that changed everything? What if there was an event that happened that meant we didn't have to live just under the sun that really, that changed the whole way that you saw the world? Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 the Apostle Paul argues or says that's what's happened. And it's that event that changes everything. And he's talking about of course uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus rising from the dead. And he goes on to say if Jesus didn't rise from the dead then well that's eat and drink because tomorrow we die. That's it. that's it. It's perfect. If Jesus hasn't risen if this is all there is, perfectly rational to do that. But the resurrection changes everything. He says, if Jesus didn't die, the Christian faith just falls over. We, we've got nothing. We're to be pitied. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, you're, uh, just to jump down to verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if Christ... Uh, um, sorry if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So all that does hang on the resurrection of Jesus. If he didn't rise, we got nothing. It always amazes me that there's bishops in the... Well, I trained in the Anglican Church. The bishops in the Anglican Church in Australia who didn't believe in the resurrection. And they still wanted us to be Christian. I don't get it. Um, by the way, if you've um, recorded this, but... The movie that's come out recently called um, The Case for Christ about Lee Strobel, mm. it's actually pretty good. Uh, Lee Strobel was a non-Christian uh, journalist. His wife becomes a Christian. He really didn't like that. He set out to disprove the Christian faith and work out the resurrection is the is the key to it all. And it's the, the movie is the story of the book he wrote called The Case for Christ. Uh, I don't want to spoil it. Spoiler alert. He actually becomes a Christian in the end. It's probably the Least cringeworthy Christian movie I've ever seen. I know that's like saying, you know, I beat my grandma in an arm or something, but um, it's not bad, it's worth a look. And um, I think you could take someone who wasn't a Christian to see it. In fact, we did, on Kathy's cousin's husband, and it wasn't an embarrassment. It's actually quite good the way they present the evidence. So that's what Paul's saying. Now, what what does it hang on? Well, Paul's saying, we were there, we saw it. Okay, they were eyewitnesses. That's his great This event that changes the world. He's saying to them, and this is only 20 or so years after Jesus had risen. It says, for I believe it to you as of first importance, what I also received: that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, uh, uh, and then to the Twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as the one... Uh, sorry. Uh, then to all the apostles, last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So, I won't go on and on about the evidence for the resurrection, but the great, the great, the cusp of this massive change in the disciples. What fundamentally changed them and their behaviour that they're prepared to die for this thing that they said they'd witnessed. So, how does that change things? Um, just a quick quote to finish Christopher Hitchens uh, was the, uh, the well known outspoken atheist who sadly died a couple of years ago of cancer. Uh, he wrote, um, God is not great, and uh, etc. His brother Peter is a Christian. Um, and, and an outspoken Christian. So you had the outspoken atheist and, and the outspoken Christian. Christopher Hitchens was on uh, AM. Uh, we changed Yeah, that changes the format of the slide. Yeah, one? Right Here we go. On AM, uh, sorry, not AM, Q&A, the ABC. Every time I watch Q&A on the ABC, the veins in my neck stand out. I think they're going make... <laughs> to <laughs> <laughs> uh, they had this thing that he, he was on it and then they had a thing about dangerous ideas and they were asking uh, the panel what the most dangerous idea that they knew and uh, uh, when one guy said oh, zero, um, all pregnancies should be terminated on earth for so many years to reduce... Um, uh, population growth etc etc and they finally got to Peter Hitchens and they asked him what he thought the most dangerous idea in human history is, here's what he says uh, sorry the, the formatting of the picture has changed, I'll read it to you, he says this, and it, you got to say it on Q&A it was brilliant, okay. the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the son of God and rose from the dead That is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter because it alters the whole of human behaviour and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there is justice and there is hope. And, therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and to work towards that hope. It alters us all. If we reject it, it alters us all as well. It is incredibly dangerous. It's why so many people turn against it. And so it's that event, the resurrection of Jesus, that changes everything. And what it means is, we don't have to live. We have eternity in our hearts, but we don't have to live just under the sun. We can actually understand eternity and what God wants and because God has revealed Himself. All right, I'm done. There might we got. Time. Yeah. <coughs> Questions? Yep. Questions? Thoughts? Comments? Uh,
1: Never. Interesting how much time of Christian can think about. Um, how much we let the box feed us the world's view, which is under the sun. The television, the movies, Matt. They're only giving us the under the sun version, mm. and we feed ourselves on it. And how to this? Um, I think if we if we understood that, how much time we give to living the world. Features,
0: under the sun, try to work to exactly yeah that's why that's why this is good for us it points that out so much yeah that's right I think you all heard that I agree hundred percent other thoughts comments? I think they're all just a little good. bit sleepy it's warm in here no
1: Thanks, Al. Thanks uh, for that. We really appreciate uh, that next stage. So that just sets us up for the, uh, the last talk tomorrow, which will uh, bring home the bacon or hit the home run for us and put it all in perspective. So uh, I encourage you all to um, be good. Okay, so we had lunch. Um, probably give us half an hour or so. Oh, another little question? I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but I heard on the radio last night they're <coughs> picking Oh, okay. So just that might be cautious for kids playing yeah, outside. Yeah, sure. I just watch the trees are getting a bit stronger. I just reminded me that it's yep. been They have big strong winds after that. Okay, no worries. So you yeah, just um, be careful as you watch the winds pick up, particularly if you're around near those trees. So um, Maybe just come back towards the centre here. So lunch will be in about half an hour, so it'll be about <coughs> quarter to one. Is now. Arranged activities this afternoon, so it's basically free time just have a walk up the hill. <coughs> there might be a few people kicking the ball out there or something. Feel free to jump in and do that. Uh, there are some arranged activities tonight after the meal, however. a tribute quiz and a couple of things uh, happening in that line. So, uh, yeah, hang on, Jenny's got something to say. Oh, 15 minutes, okay. 15 minutes. So, when you hear the bell ring, um, that means lunch is ready to go. Okay, thank you.